Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. Welcome to MedEvidence, truth behind the data. Today, we are talking with Dr. Michael Corrin and Dr. Stephen Tengis about Alzheimer's disease. Let's first introduce... Dr. Corrin. Dr. Michael Corrin is a practicing cardiologist and CEO and founder of Encore Research Group. He has been principal investigator of multiple trials and has been published in the most prestigious journals. Also joining us today, Dr. Stephen Tengis. He's a board-certified neurologist and principal investigator on multiple trials at Encore Research Group. He is a decorated Navy veteran and has been practicing neurology in Jacksonville for over 10 years. Gentlemen, welcome today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a good topic. If I remember correctly, I think we have a good topic ahead of us. If you remember correctly. Yes, if I remember correctly. All right, so we're going to be talking today about uh, Alzheimer's disease, the breakdown dementia versus Alzheimer's. Now, some people think that it's the same thing. What's the difference? Let's go there. Well, we'll, we'll let the neurologist jump in and give us his <laughs> definition. And, uh, and I'll, de- I'll give you the cardiovascular definition after that. So, <laughs> so that, and that's a very, very common uh, question I must hear multiple times a day in the clinic. Um, <clears throat> First, dementia is a term that really refers to the severity of a cognitive deficit. Um, It doesn't really refer to an etiology for that cognitive deficit. So if the cognitive deficit is sufficient enough in in degree that it really starts to impact uh, what we would refer to as activities of daily living, um, basically your your ability to care for yourself, um, uh, essentially, that, that we would call a dementia. But dementia doesn't really have any reference to the cause. Um, You could have a dementia uh, if you've had Alzheimer's disease for a number of years. If you drink a fifth of vodka every day, eventually you'll you'll have a dementia from that uh, behavior. Uh, So the the term dementia purely and simply is a reference to the severity of a cognitive deficit. Is there a technical scale that you look at as a neurologist that tells you somebody's either impaired mentally or truly demented there's there's a number of them um but quite frankly we we really just split up activities of daily living um you know things like paying bills um driving uh probably one of your more common uh, technical, technically activity of daily living that, that gets people uh, labeled as having difficulties specifically with activities of daily living is medication administration. Um, if you cognitively can't um, you know, manage your own medications, that's technically a failure of an activity of daily living. So there's not any specific scale, but there are dementia rating scales. There's many mental scales. There's all kinds of scales. And yes, they are basically all have sort of their labels in terms of, of, of severity. I would say probably most commonly used with the uh, neuropsychologists that do formal cognitive testing would be called uh, the dementia rating scale. Uh, and there, there are specific uh, numbers that, that um, you know, get labeled uh, with formal cognitive testing. Right. 
and cardiologists and neurologists work together all the time and kind of bounce things off of each other uh, because often in the cardiology realm, we'll be dealing with vascular or cardiac reasons for people having strokes. And a stroke is usually relatively obvious, although sometimes I'll turn to my colleague and say, there's kind of something funny going on here. Can you help me figure out if this is a neurological event or not? And then some more subtle things like people that are just not functioning as well and whether or not there's a connection between what's happening from a cardiovascular standpoint and a brain standpoint. So as Dr. Ten just mentioned, dementia is really uh, a severe form of brain functioning that's uh, not allowing people to do their basic uh, basic daily living activities. And uh, one of the first things we do is try to figure out what's causing it, Mm -hmm. what's what's the underlying issue. And from a cardiovascular standpoint, we'll talk a lot about are there blood clots from the heart or from the blood vessels that are going up and causing problems in the brain. And when that happens, and we can prove that's the case, we call it vascular dementia, meaning that there's some piece of clot or plaque or cholesterol deposit that's actually causing some mechanical damage to the blood vessels that are, that are affecting the brain. And then there are other categories that don't seem to fall into this vascular dementia category. And that's, and that's where... Um, we would then would transfer that patient over to the neurologist to look at things a little bit more critically. And um, I think that uh, it would be helpful to consider uh, somewhat the history of, of the way things get labeled. The reason, um, and you'll still hear, hear patients uh, when I ask, well, what, what's been told to you is the cause for the cognitive impairment in your loved one, and the answer is they just have a dementia. Um, historically, uh, neurologists and physicians uh, in general have not gotten too uh, sophisticated about labeling the etiology. Uh, and so just a nonspecific dementia uh, it is something that has been commonly the diagnosis. Or right, just kind of like an umbrella. Correct. Yeah. With, with no real uh, differentiation between different causes of dementia. And the reason for the majority of that, um, at least with the most common cause of dementia, which would be Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease, um, you know, there's largely not been disease-modifying therapies, and so what's the need to, to really differentiate something that historically has been best diagnosed at autopsy? Um, it, but as, as our um, scientific knowledge in, the, in our society as a whole moves forward with uh, putative and hopeful uh, disease-modifying therapies, it starts to become very important to try to decipher exactly what is the cause of this person's uh, cognitive decline and is it something that we may have some sort of treatment for. And so it is important now to not just generally use the term dementia um, if you're trying to um, ascribe an etiology and come up with therapeutics. It's starting to become much more important to label the etiology like vascular dementia um, the second most common cause of degenerative dementia is Lewy body dementia, uh, and there are obviously um, other etiologies as well. So back to Lewy body, what exactly is that? I know my stepdaughter, they said she doesn't have Lewy body, but because w- she was fainting and, and having some like mm-hmm. episodes like that, she's in her young 20s, but they already said she doesn't have this. How, how do you get to that point? Uh, so Lewy body uh, dementia is is a at least pathologically uh, a very different dementia uh, from Alzheimer's disease. 
Um, it's in the class of disorders we call the synucleinopathies. Um, a lot of the pathologies um, and explanations for the different degenerative dementias um, involve precipitation of certain abnormal proteins or substances within neurons or around neurons of our brain. Um, and quite simply, the way they've been described through the years is how the pathologists see them. Uh, and when you see um, Lewy bodies, which are a pathological uh, entity that you see on a microscope, uh, which is contained of alpha-synuclein in just the right areas of our brain, that is the pathological entity of Lewy body dementia. The clinical presentation or, or, or disorder of, of Lewy body dementia has some unique hallmarks that do very much differentiate it from uh, Alzheimer's disease typically. Um, there will be very prominent and early visual hallucinations. The type of cognitive decline is a little bit different than an Alzheimer's disease patient. And a Lewy body dementia patient will have uh, very commonly associated other disorders like a REM sleep behavior disorder, uh, potentially even many, many years before uh, the onset of the cognitive decline. So it's distinct clinically. Now, so much of what we do in diagnostics nowadays is, is based on imaging. Mm -hmm. Are you able to dis distinguish these different types of dementia based on imaging at all? Um, so imaging is going to appropriately be split up between anatomical imaging like CT and MRI-based imaging where you see uh, literally just the structure uh, of, of, uh, of brain tissue. And then there are additional modalities such as PET imaging where we're looking at um, the amount of uh, glucose metabolism per volume brain tissue. And then there are specific ways to radiolabel um, um, uh, pathological entities such as beta amyloid, um, which precipitates in a number of disorders, um, and phosphorylated tau, which both of those actually have FDA-approved spec ligands. Do you use that clinically? Um, not so much in, in mm -hmm. while it's available and you could, you could uh, obtain that, uh, someone would be paying out of pocket for it. It's quite expensive. So it's still in, in reality in, in, in uses basically limited to uh, research studies. Uh, but you can actually, uh, you can also do dopamine uh, transporter uh, imaging. That's a spec uh, imaging that we do actually use sometimes. Uh, and that can help tease out uh, Parkinsonisms and Lewy body dementia being at one of the Parkinsonisms could theoretically uh, be helpful in certain situations. But usually that's, that's not necessary. Do you, do you still have to do a biopsy to make a definitive diagnosis? Uh, you, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you would if that were going to change your management, but mm -hmm. it, it's the, the, the presence of it's really not going to change the management. Uh, and so, no, not at, not at this time. We don't get too sophisticated. We stick with clinical uh, um, um, criteria to diagnose something like a Lewy body. Is, is there treatment for dementia that can reverse it, or is treatment just to kind of maintain it? Um, so in terms of treatments, it, I think, is very helpful to split up treatment in, into different general categories. Um, the first category would be symptomatic relief, uh, and a second category would be disease-modifying meaning changing the course of the illness. Um, in, uh, historically, um, we have had basically symptomatic relief therapies. Uh, and we're, we 
believe in the research world that we're on the brink of disease-modifying therapeutics. Which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, some of of the therapies for the various dementias um, will will be um, uh, thought of as symptomatic relief. And there are many patients that do achieve um, benefit from the medications that are available. I would point out that... um, I say repeatedly in the clinic that that while um, there are some controversies and and uh, and we're on the brink of hopeful uh, you know disease modifying therapeutics, there are disease modifying approaches, um, and there are uh, a number of things that significantly influence uh, the rate of decline for various dementias, specifically Alzheimer's for sure, um, and those things are are the things that your your doctors are always telling you to do basically live live a healthy lifestyle control your blood pressure remain physically and mentally active uh sleep appropriately right you got sleep apnea treat it things like that right and, and with over exercise. and with over six million americans believed to have to have alzheimer's disease and it's the sixth leading cause of death in the united states those are some some big factors to consider, yep. you know, and, and any doctor you talk to is going to say, sleep, eat well, and move. Yeah, and that leads me to my uh, session ending question. All right. So I, I, I get that honor this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all about so, you, Dr. Corrin. So is is dementia inevitable? Is everybody going to get something, some cognitive impairment as they get older and, and it's something that we inevitably deal with or... Are there people who have absolutely no signs of it at advanced ages? Uh, that's that's an interesting uh, thing to um, rub a beard about. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and we are going to do that and, and lean back in the next yeah, segment. Stare at the sky, maybe. But um, <laughs> it, there are there definitely have been um, folks in the medical literature and and intelligent people that who have had the thoughts that. You know, a pathology or a process, something like an Alzheimer's is not necessarily a pathology, but a component of aging. Um, and, uh, and you know, in that respect, you, you, would, you would conclude that potentially you're do- destined to get uh, that particular disorder if you live long enough. Um, now, that may be 110 uh, when you start to develop Alzheimer's. It might be 47. Mm. Um, and so anywhere in that frame, you know, that sort of pathology and then the sequelae of the pathology may unfold. But there, are, there really are people who are at advanced ages, um, and they have a, a, a remarkable absence of, of the types of pathology seen in Alzheimer's and, um, for some reason, they also do not have vascular changes at those ages. And it's interesting to note that those patients' memories will be just as good at 100 as it was. Sign me up for those genes. Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence: The Truth Behind the Data. 